The Lightning Network to me is an app, and to use the app, you have to have real Bitcoin. And that's the way I think about it. Welcome, everyone, to episode 24 of POV Crypto. I'm David Hoffman here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how are you doing? Dude, doing fantastic. We just had an amazing conversation with the late, great Nick Badia. Um, here in Nashville still, this is actually the second podcast of the day, but your boys are hustling for you guys. We're freaking hustling. Put in that work. These two podcasts probably are great juxtapositions to each other. Could not be more different from one to the other. Where 23 was uh, a bunch of kids going at it, classic Ether versus Bitcoin debate, and uh, 24 is a much more reserved, much more, uh, much more educational. Educational. That's a good way to put it. I really hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Nick Badia. I really learned a lot about the Lightning Network and economics and, and the whole um, system of how it's created, uh, and I'm sure you guys will too. Nick is so knowledgeable, and both David and I were just throwing as much mud as possible at you know how the Lightning Network works. And, you know, I think he had some really good answers for all of the worries and fears about the Lightning Network. Of course, it's still an experiment, but it is really exciting. And, you know, some things that Nick talks about are how can you make money on the Lightning Network? Why would you open and close a node? Uh, how will the Lightning Network deal with centralization and what the UX could look like? You know, this is a really in-depth conversation about the Lightning Network, the closest thing that you can get to without really diving into the code with some of these developers. And without further ado, let's get into it. All right, guys, we have Nick Badia here at uh, Time Value of BTC. Is that correct? Time Value of BTC on Twitter. Nick has put together some amazing work, and we are extremely excited and grateful for him to join us. Nick, why don't you uh, introduce yourself and uh, tell people a little bit about how you got into Bitcoin. Sure. Thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. My name is Nick Batia. I published an article uh, last summer called uh, The Time Value of Bitcoin. And it was an idea that I was working on for several months once I found out about the Lightning Network. And I, what happened was I was watching a video from Andreas Antonopoulos describing the way that the Lightning Network works. And he brought up an interesting concept of earning interest on a lightning node. And I, you know, I work in the financial services industry. Specifically, I trade U.S. Treasury bonds uh, for an investment manager. And so interest rates is my profession. And once I got uh, the idea of interest rates on Lightning Network, I really dove in and tried to understand why Andreas was calling uh, earning routing fees on Lightning interest. And so I broke it down, and the, the formula for interest really requires three variables. You need principal, you need time, and you need income. And on the Lightning Network, we can actually observe all three variables. The interest is the fees that you're making by routing payments through the network, the principal is the Bitcoin that you stake to payment channels, and the time is the time that it takes you to earn those fees. And really, with all three of those variables, you can calculate interest um, using the Lightning Network kind of as your framework. And so, you know, that's what my first article was about. And I wrote about this idea, and uh, the people of Bitcoin seem to be very interested in this concept and the fact that. You know, this is just an analogy. Whether you want to call routing fees income fees or interest, it really is just a matter of semantics. And um, so, uh, I, you know, I think it, Lightning Network is incredibly interesting, and the work that's being done um, since then has it's really come a long way. And I think we see Lightning at the cusp of uh, actual usage. Wonderful, yeah. Your your article has, has gotten an, an insane amount of just traction in the in the Twitter sphere and, and on Medium as well. So I have a, a a lot of respect for somebody who can get a lot of eyeballs on on their Medium article as somebody who also writes for for Medium. Um, 
Can you take us through, uh, I'm assuming you've been following the history of, of the Lightning Network pretty closely. Can you take us through kind of the where the Lightning Network started, uh, who kind of created it, um, or, or what teams are working on it, and then how has it transitioned or exploded in the last few months lately? Kind of just give us your, your thoughts on that. Sure. So the Lightning Network, really the history goes back to the idea of the payment channel. And, uh, you know, that goes back to kind of the beginning of Bitcoin where people were talking about this idea of payment channels. But then uh, in 2015, I believe it was, Poon and Dreija published a paper called The Lightning Network. And um, it was an idea that we would have a web of bi-directional payment channels uh, that could function as a higher velocity Bitcoin payment network by using a, a truly peer-to-peer model instead of what Bitcoin uses, which is a more of a peer-to-all peers, where we register transactions on a single chain of blocks that everybody has access to. Lightning Network doesn't work that way. Lightning Network, the only people, the only transactions that you can see happening are the transactions between you and the people that you're connected with, the, the other Lightning nodes that you're connected with. And you can be connected with as few or as many uh, Lightning nodes as possible. So the paper was written, and the paper actually, the idea depended on something called SegWit. So we're all familiar with the SegWit upgrade. SegWit was a necessary upgrade for payment for bidirectional payment channels to work in the way that the Lightning Network uh, was theorized and since then we have three primary teams across the world working on the lightning network with different different implementations but they're all working with a common framework uh, so this is uh, referred to as uh, bolt uh, which are the specifications of the lightning network so the three teams lightning labs in the united states are working on lnd um, we have uh, the team in Blo- uh, with Blockstream working on Sea Lightning, also in the United States, and then a Sanka team in France is working on an implementation called Eclair, um, which I'm the least familiar with of of the th- of the three, mainly because the teams of Lightning Labs and Blockstream have been very uh, open about their. Um, They've just been on a lot of podcasts and and conferences mm-hmm. and uh, lightning hack days and all these uh, you know events that we've been seeing pop up over the last several months as uh, the excitement for lightning network builds. So those are the teams that are building the implementations. Where are we now? We're at a point now where you're starting to round the corner. I think from the beta phase to uh, a more friendly user experience phase. So someone like me, who's not a computer scientist or a programmer by any means, I can actually start to dabble with the Lightning Network by using, you know, Jack Mahler's wallet, which is called Zap. Um, it allows me to engage in the Lightning Network without having to use the command line. So I think we are coming into that user experience phase of Lightning Network. But again, we're very, very early. There are a lot of kinks that need to be worked out. And a lot of very important uh, first principles in terms of payment channel funding uh, that are only starting to come about now with uh, the Lightning Network one spot one uh, specification that we saw released uh, out of Australia. In terms of Lightning Network projects that are trying to take Lightning into more of a consumer-friendly uh, space, what are you most excited about? You mentioned the Jack Mahler's uh, project Zap. Um, I know that he's not the only one. Would love to kind of dig into which projects you think are really cu- pushing the edge on on usability and UX. The three that come to mind immediately, one is Pierre Richard's uh, Node Launcher. I think this is a great, this is something that I've used uh, also recently. Um, it's basically a dashboard. There's nothing super fancy about it, but it just gives this uh, added level of accessibility to people that aren't familiar with the command line. So it kind of it has your node launcher. Um, it, it allows you to integrate your Zap implementation with your LND node that you have on your computer. Um, so 
Pierre Richard's No Launchers is definitely the first one. Zap uh, is the second one. Zapping um, you can use on top of L&D. And I think uh, you know, Zap is the first example that we have of something, a really slick uh, lightning interface that we can use. Um, and then the third one... Is it on the phone? I'm sorry? Is it on a phone? Like what, what, how do people use this slick interface? Zap, uh, Zap has a iOS app. Um, but the, you know, the version that I'm using is on the desktop because I think that uh, you know, setting up the smartphone app connected to your node full node on your computer is something that I haven't played around with yet but the the wallet interface on the on the desktop is um, something that's you know very slick and very easy to use um, and then the third one is a new project called jewel and that's a chrome extension uh, that we see uh, you know a lot you can you can engage in lightning transactions just through your web browser so that's something I have not dabbled with yet, um, but I'm excited to. And uh, I've seen some uh, video demos on YouTube and Twitter. And um, Chrome, yeah, the Chrome extension called Jewel is something I'm very excited about as well. David, it's pretty similar to MetaMask. Have you checked it out? No, I have not, but I definitely will. I think this is actually a pretty interesting example of. Um, Ethereum uh, developers and projects kind of pioneering a UX and then um, a Bitcoin project kind of stealing that thunder or utilizing the same idea of a, like a browser wallet. Jewel looks really, really cool. Um, so, Nick, it sounds like you've been experimenting a lot with the Lightning Network so far. What, what have you done and what have you, I guess, what haven't you done? It sounds like mobile is still kind of new to you. You know, what is it like to play around the Lightning Network right now? Uh, it it reminds me the first couple times I sent a Bitcoin transaction. Uh, to be honest with you, where it's it's a it's a rush. Um, I now that I've sent a couple uh, Lightning transactions and gotten familiar and have my full uh, you know my Lightning node up and running on my computer, I'm starting to think about. Uh, you know my articles and what what to write about next and really now that you know I have the node up and running how can I extrapolate more financial theory from the lightning network and so I'm really excited to get going with Pierre Richard's Excel plugin and that's something that he released a couple months ago as well uh, the reason he did that was because you know once he read my articles, he was thinking, how would people like Nick engage in the Lightning Network without command line? And so he built an Excel plugin uh, for, I guess, financial and accounting type people like myself. And so that's something that I'm going to get going and I'm going to start working in Excel, which is the computer program, honestly, that I feel most comfortable working in. You know, my whole all my jobs have been using Microsoft Excel, and it's how I'm able to manipulate numbers and do math and uh, you know build formulas and basically code in my own right. Right, I'm not a coder, but when I get into Excel, I do feel like a coder. So for me, getting getting going with Lightning Network and Microsoft Excel, then I can start to build interest rate calculation methodologies, and um, really because Interest can be calculated in an infinite number of ways, right? We can talk about using a single channel's balance. We can talk about an average balance across channels. We can talk about all the Bitcoin you have in your node as far as the principal. The time, we can look at block time. We can look at a single day. We can look at a week. We can look at a year. There's an infinite number of ways to look at time. Um, so all these types of... Uh, variables are the things that I'm going to, you know, I'm excited to play around with and uh, get started with. I think that gets right into what we really want to talk about with this uh, episode, which is how does uh, the average user gain interest with the Lightning Network? Uh, and so maybe before we actually start with that, let's talk about just kind of the 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 mechanism behind the lightning network how does it actually work in detail and then how does a user get paid with uh with their btc on the lightning network 
Right. So it's uh, multiple steps uh, that it would take to start earning interest. The first thing that you would have to do is open up channels with other notes. And the second thing that would have to happen is that economic activity would have to flow through your node um, in order for you to earn any money. So how can I earn money in the Lightning Network? Honestly, the only way to do so is to be a router of payments and to charge a small fee to do that. Now, currently in the, in the setup of how we see the Lightning Network evolving, we see that well-connected nodes managed by capable programmers and people that are knowledgeable about payment channel infrastructure, these people are starting to make very minimal fees. So we're talking about uh, you know, fees that are only a few Satoshis at a time. So we're, we're talking about, honestly, fractions of a cent here. Nothing material, nothing to write home about, uh, nothing that you're going to be able to eat off of. But it's people right now that are experimenting in uh, you know, setting up these channels, positioning themselves on the network, determining what the right fee is, um, having balanced channels. So that's another thing that I'm trying to understand more and learn more about. And the team at Lightning Labs, specifically Alex Bosworth, who's their uh, head of architecture over there, um, he tweets out these really interesting takes on Lightning Network payment channels every day. And so if you're looking to learn about how to have a profitable Lightning node and really what it takes to build optimal payment channel balances and position yourself correctly on the network, Alex Bosworth is the best person to follow. Uh, I wrote an article about one of his tweets that he put out several months ago where he showed how much um, how many satoshis he had earned in a given week given the balances that he had in his channel and on an, at an annualized rate he was making 40 basis points or 0.4 percent and um, you know when I wrote the article he was quick to ping me and tell me that you know these results are not indicative of what can happen in the future this is just what happened with me in one given week um, but I thought it was right. This is the economic return of Lightning's beta, not the live product. Is a way to sure, it. sure. It, it, it's you know, it's a way of him just saying, "Listen, it, this is a beta. This is what I've been doing. I made a few satoshis. Let me show you how many I made. Let me show you the balance that um, I did it with, and it took me a week to do so. And just like that, I can calculate the interest of Alex Bosworth's Lightning node for for one week." Um, but keep in mind a couple things. Number one, he had to tell us that, so we're taking his word for it. So this is not a trustless interest rate by any means yet. Um, and the second thing is that, you know, he is actually at the forefront of a lot of this network topology. And so for us to think that oh, we can just go out and earn 40 basis points um, is would be incorrect. I think that skill and you know technical know-how are going to be huge components to determining whether or not somebody can earn fees in the Lightning Network. And you know, once again, to remind us all, we're talking about satoshis here. We're not talking about any real money yet. Uh, this is more just my observation is that the the interest that you can earn in the Lightning Network is non-zero. That's the breakthrough here. That is the game changer. If it was zero, it'd be boring. The fact that it's non-zero makes it exciting. And even though you might think that 0.4% is minuscule, um, it, it's, it's almost like infinity for somebody like me who's interested in the financial theory aspect. I've never heard someone talk about fees so gleefully. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Usually it's the other way around. Oh, it's very, it's very exciting because as we know, you know, Satoshi... Uh, Incredibly early on, uh, I was going through the mailing list recently, and I was just reading some of the stuff. You know, he said that when the block rewards won't run out, we're going to have fees to maintain. You know, this network. So fees have always been a part of the design of Bitcoin, and uh, you know, Lightning Network fees. It's it's a whole another it's a whole another animal. We love to uh, to quote Satoshi. We actually did an episode where we read some of his old stuff and. 
honestly, like the forefront that he or the forethought that he had um, was really incredible, given the fact that no one had seen this network, you know, really operating in the wild yet. Um, so it, it really, if you haven't, you know, really looked into uh, the Nakamoto Institute archives of Satoshi, you need to do that. It is pivotal in understanding this space. What is Bitcoin? What is blockchain? Um, but speaking of Alex Bosworth, he recently put out a super um, kind of hot take on Lightning Network. Uh, generally speaking, the narrative for Lightning Network is, you know, extremely, extremely low fees, um, infinite scaling, um, much more privacy. Uh, and he recently tweeted, there's there's a, a bit too much emphasis placed on the idea that Lightning Network is all about low fees. Fees on the network are charged at a market rate. We cannot control this market, therefore we cannot guarantee low fees all the time. We can remo- remove reasons for high fees, but we can't control the fees. Um, so this is kind of already shifting the narrative away from zero fees, cheap fees, that kind of stuff. Nick, I'd love to get your take on that recent tweet. I completely agree. This is a market. This is a free market, and the high on-chain fees drove scaling a couple years ago when we had all the you know the the blockchain was spammed through the mempool and what did it do it created this chain reaction of events that really drove people to experiment with lightning network and how we can lower the fees or how we can avoid having to use the blockchain all the time right and so now that lightning network is in the picture uh, you're going to have people that are routing payments that are going to have to open and close channels. They're going to have to pay on-chain fees. So they're not going to just route payments for free. They're going to charge a market rate that enables them to engage in routing activity. They're going to have an expense side and a revenue side to their income statement. And the expense side is the on- are the on-chain fees. The revenue side are the routing fees you collect in the Lightning Network. So yes, of course, it's going to be a market, uh, market-driven rate. It's not just going to be low because it's low, because it's the Lightning Network. That doesn't make any sense. Uh, Lightning payment channels are still Bitcoin transactions. Bitcoin transactions only get in blocks if you incent a miner to put it in the block. And the only way to do so is attaching a fee to it. So fees are... This is just the economics of Bitcoin and how it works. So yeah, I think it's a great tweet, and we need to get away from this. Uh, you know, Lightning is all about low fees. No, Lightning is just a type of Bitcoin transaction. So the fee that you pay for a Lightning transaction should, in theory, be less than an on-chain fee, but more than zero. And you know, whatever that number is, the market will determine it. I follow a decent amount of people that are very, very skeptical of the Lightning Network. And one of the kind of uh, FUD that they throw at the Lightning Network is that insiders have crippled the base layer. So that way they can take transactions off the base layer and then profit on it in some sort of, you know, centralizing secondary layer. Um, I guess, you know, kind of speaking of moving away from necessarily using the blockchain all the time for Bitcoin transactions, you know, what do you have to answer that kind of um, concern? Fees on the main chain right now are very low. So I don't think that the argument really holds because we see that fees go through, you know, phases where it's very expensive to use the, the blockchain and phases where it's very inexpensive. And right now, We've had a very prolonged period of low on-chain fees. So I don't think there's any... that. I mean, you could maybe try to poke that hole when the blockchain is incredibly busy and the, mem- the mempool is stacked with a, you know, an enormous backlog and uh, you see evidence of spammy type transactions in the mempool. You might be able to draw those conclusions, but not with, uh, not with a mempool that you know, is showing no fee stress. So Christian kind of alluded to, to something that a, a lot of the Ethereum ecosystem kind of um, points at when we when we talk about Bitcoin and its Lightning Network amongst ourselves. Uh, so one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is, what do, what do you envision the future network topology to look to look like at scale? Like after full adoption of the Lightning Network, uh, it, it kind of seems to be that like early adopters of the Lightning Network are really going to be able to 
profit more than others in the future simply because their uh, nodes are going to have more channels to other nodes. And so it's going to just become much more efficient to route payments through the central nodes than it is to a, a node that started you know, last week, which really gives, if that is true, kind of gives an, an unfair advantage to these very central node operators, which kind of restores the centralization back onto a decentralized network. Uh, did, did I... Did I make a mistake with that kind of assumption or is there, is, is there something I'm missing or what's going on with that? No, I think that's very fair. Um, it is, I think it is reasonable to expect a degree of centralization in the first round of the Lightning Network, meaning that, you know, as the infrastructure gets built out and let's say there are a few merchants that start using the Lightning Network, uh, you know, these merchants or these routers might become central points of routing in the in the network for sure um, but we do have it's a free market and there are uh, you know you can open a channel with anybody and so if the users of the lightning network are unhappy with the topology as it evolves they will route around those centralized nodes and so you know why would they do that let's say that uh, a, a node is having a lot, you know, a lot of payments routed through it, and they are cho charging very low fees to undercut the market. Um, but there's, let's say, a hint of there's a hint of centralization fear in the market, and they say, you know, this node, it's clear that they're getting too many fee, uh, too many payments that are going through them, and this is a risk for all the people that are connected to the, the centralized node. Let's route around this person or this node um, in order to send our payment, and they can open channels and and route around it. So, you know, it, yes, it's possible for centralized nodes to exist. Yes, it's also possible to route around those centralized nodes. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. Sometimes I like to think about the S nine, um, and how that you know for a long time was the only miner that. You, you could buy if you wanted a profit in, in mining. And I'm not a miner, but this is just from my observation. And then what happened in the last you know 12 to 18 months is we see all these uh, startup manufacturers trying to develop miners that are equal or better to the S9. Um, and part of the reason that we have see all those miners uh, coming up is because of fear of Bitmain centralization, and so um, you know Bitmain might be on the on the downswing now, but 12 months ago, 18 months ago, it looked like they were untouchable. So maybe the Lightning Network uh, routing routing network evolves like that, where at the beginning there is some centralization. Bitcoin kicks in its immunity and says we don't like that, and we find solutions. So if people start routing around the central hubs, they're going to have to charge a, a smaller fee, correct? In order to pe people to actually uh, use that, that non-routed, the non-centralized hub route in order to, yeah. No, um, I, quite the opposite. Uh, you might even be willing to pay a higher fee to ensure decentralization. So I'm not talking about paying 10 times the fee, but if, this, if it's one more Satoshi... Um, and that is your ethos that you believe we should be decentralized as much as possible, yeah, you'll pay the extra Satoshi um, to route around. And so, you know, you can think about that with any service where, you know, you're not always going to go with the cheaper, cheapest service. You're, sometimes you're willing to pay up because the service being provided is better or fits your, you know, like people, um, you know, buying organic uh, produce versus regular produce, right? Um, may, maybe it's based on science that you think the food is cleaner, or maybe you just like the ethos of uh, organic uh, produce, right? You're willing to pay up sometimes. Fair enough. But I, I would I would push back and say that the average person does not buy organic. And the average, when it comes to being scalable, I would, I would think that the average person isn't really going to care if they're really just they're, they're using Bitcoin to buy something on the internet, like something on Amazon, when Amazon accepts Bitcoin one day. Like they, I don't think they're really going to pay attention to if, they, uh, if their fee is going through a central hub or not. 
and then uh, therefore central hubs will kind of continue to exist. But And then if there is an alternative to that central hub, if they want to get used, they'll have to lower their fee. And so it seems to be there's kind of this game theoretic convergence on low fees where either you have to pay extra to not go through the central hub, or if you want to become a central hub, you have to undercut the other central hub's uh, fee and, and make it even lower. And that and that's fair too, but I would also push back by saying most people aren't storing their own private keys because they just are not, uh, they're not convinced that decentralization and, uh, you know, financial sovereignty is the most important thing, right? Some of us store our own private keys because uh, we would never entrust custody to a third party. Um, and that type of person with that type of ethos is probably going to be willing to pay one Satoshi more to not use centralized routing on the Lightning Network. But somebody who uses Coinbase to keep all of their funds uh, has, has shown by their choice that decentralization is not why they're buying Bitcoin. Um, and I know that's a broad sweeping statement, but that's, you know, how I think about it. So Nick, I do want to ask you a question here. Let's just assume there are many centralized hubs in the lightning network. What does that actually mean for a user of the lightning network? Are they in any way forced to use the light, the central hub? Cause it sounds like the fear here is that everyone's going to be forced to use bank A's hub or bank B's hub and they'll have no other way to reach their merchant in a economically feasible way um, without resorting to using these centralized players. But I would like to get your opinion on let's say there is there are significant central hubs. Um, what does that mean for a user? So if you think about um, when people choose uh, you know how to pay for things, whether they choose their Visa or PayPal or cash, they're making a choice in terms of privacy, in terms of convenience. They're making that trade-off choice in, uh, in payment method. So in the Lightning Network, it's the same thing. I'm going to either use the very easy and quick automatic, automatic routing that my Lightning wallet provides, right? They'll have, you know, as software develops, you'll have uh, wallet software that will just do it for you and choose the absolute cheapest route and the route that has the highest chance of making it to your destination instantaneously. Um, or you'll have people that are going to use the command line, route, uh, choose the route that they feel is best, right? And they'll be willing to pay for eight hops instead of three hops because they don't want to use bank A, which is in the three hop path, right? And so, again, this is a free market. And if you want to get down into the details and do your own routing, that is absolutely your prerogative. And I think that people will do that and will continue to do that. Will I be able to do that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure yet if somebody like me who uh, can't code is going to be able to have that much control over the route that I choose in the Lightning Network. But I promise you I know how to create my own private keys and take custody of my own funds. So I'm not going to be using Lightning Network for all of my activities on, on Bitcoin. I'm going to probably just allocate a small amount and use it for um, online transactions that are, you know, very small in nature. I would love to see a wallet that kind of gives you options where it's like fastest route, most private route, um, only small nodes, that kind of stuff. And I promise you we'll see all of that. I mean, look at the way that Bitcoin has gone. The innovation is unbelievable. Lightning Network, uh, the things that people are building out in these early... Um, in these early implementations, uh, it's, it's very interesting. And I have no doubt that smart devs around the world are building all of these things as we speak. So let's talk a little bit about the economics behind uh, closing a node. So what what is the incentive to always keep your channels open? 
And is there an ever an incentive to close out your node and actually shut it down? Or is the incentive always there to keep it up and running? How does that work? Well, I think it, I think it depends on what you're looking to do. Uh, are you on the Lightning Network to route payments and earn fees? Or are you on the Lightning Network to engage in consumer merchant activity? Um, if you're looking to engage in consumer merchant activity, uh, there's no reason to keep channels open uh, for much longer than you, than you need to use them. If you're trying to engage with a merchant that you think you'll have transactions with every day or every week, you'll probably want to keep that channel open. But if this is a one-time transaction um, and you open a channel with them directly, um, then probably makes sense to close it right away. So if you're routing, if you're a routing node, you want to keep as many channels open that are actually seeing economic activity. So it's not about the number of channels. It's not even about the balance of the channels themselves. It's about the activity that's going through. Are the channels active? If they are, you're going to want to focus on those channels and build them up. If you have channels open that are never used, then it probably makes sense to close them. So this is what I'm talking about in terms of technical know-how and skill. Um, you know, Active channel management is something that is going to end up being profitable, even if it's uh, to a small degree. Active and proper channel management can end up uh, giving you profits. And ignoring all of these things will probably end up costing you money because you'll be opening and closing too many channels relative to what you intended to do in the first place. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So if it does cost money to open a channel, uh, is why wouldn't somebody just keep it open all the time? Is there any other reason to uh, close a channel apart from just wanting to transact that Bitcoin on the main Bitcoin blockchain? Well, it's a bi-directional payment channel, right? So you, you this is an agree. It's a two-sided agreement, and uh, your counterparty might not want to keep the channel open for for some uh, so, some other reason, and you know they might they might want to close it. So uh, you know. Yeah, it's not it's not always up to you. I think this is a pretty good segue here to a, a topic that I am really interested in picking your brain on just because it seems like you are on the forefront of studying what's going on in the Lightning Network and applying kind of um, business-minded thought around it. How do you kind of see um, the, the Lightning Network's unique, uh, you know, features and characteristics uh, yielding itself to brand new kinds of businesses? Um, and, you know, you don't have to get super specific, but would love to kind of see, you know, how does this compare to current businesses that are possible on chain, not in crypto or whatever? And then uh, what does the Lightning Network kind of enable? Yeah, you know, I'll lift another thing from Andreas Antonopoulos. He called it streaming money. Um, this is a concept that becomes possible with Lightning Network and not with uh, on-chain confirmations. And the concept of streaming money is that you know, you could be watching a video online and be paying by the second with Lightning Network transactions. Um, you have the, a, a single channel open, so you're not having to pay any sort of fees to con continuously open and close channels. You have a single channel open, and you're paying a few Satoshis every second to watch a video. And when you close the video, you stop sending Satoshis over. Um, so this type of Live streaming money is uh, something that's never been possible in any other format of money um, and and very exciting. And I think that a couple of the you know first lightning uh, experiments that we see out there, like Satoshi's place and y'all's, um, they're they're basically you know content. You're just creating content or paying for content in a very you know minute sort of way and so this this microtransaction again becomes possible which was you know one of the things that was talked about in the beginning of bitcoin but as the market value rose and fees rose it stopped being feasible for microtransactions i think microtransactions becomes feasible again and not that microtransactions are going to drive the lightning network but just this whole concept of streaming money does become possible so do you see kind of content as being the primary area for streaming money or 
Um, are there other kind of cosmic things that you think, you know, can take advantage of that? Oh, yeah. I mean, payroll, um, self-driving cars, you know, self-driving Ubers, the, this, these types of, you know, cosmic ideas. Um, not, not that these things wouldn't be possible using Bitcoin only, but Lightning Network, it speeds up the velocity of Bitcoin. You don't have to wait those 10, 20, 30 minutes to confirm that the money is yours. Uh, you know that you can go settle the money back to the chain at a later point, but the money that's been sent to you is real Bitcoin, um, and you can verify that instantaneously on the on the Lightning Network. So yeah, it, it does open up all these cosmic type of possibilities for sure. Yeah, my last question was about the concept of watchers. I was hoping um, I'm not too familiar with with watchers, but I do know that uh, watchers are necessary for when people are are not online. So maybe you could actually help me and our audience kind of go through this terminology. What does it mean to not be online, and then what uh, what does the role of a watcher play in the Bitcoin uh, Lightning Network? Sure, and I just want to preface one more thing, guys: is I'm not a programmer <laughs> or coder. And so, you know, better than us, probably. No, honestly, there are so many um, great devs out there that are on Twitter and are publishing stuff and the LND Slack, and I can't keep up with all of it. Um, And I'm just trying to learn as much as you got, you know, as much as you guys are trying to learn from these devs and really try to understand. It takes me a long time. Uh, It took me a long time to understand really how these bi directional payment channels worked. And what the security mechanism was, um, you know, which I understand now to be the anti-cheat transaction or the justice transaction. And, you know, as I was learning more about the Lightning Network, all of a sudden there's this proposal called L2, which does away with uh, the anti-cheat transaction altogether. Now, that hasn't been implemented yet, but it's been talked about. My point is just that there are so many things to keep up with. Um, that, you know, I think it's best to, uh, surf these slacks and, you know, Twitter pages, um, for, for really good information. Uh, so as far as a a node being online or offline right now, in order to successfully route payments and engage in lightning transactions, you have to have a full node, a lightning node, and it has to be on, um, if somebody wants to close a channel with you and you are offline, um, uh, there's a roadblock there. Now, all HTLCs in the Lightning Network have an expiry. Uh, this is this is built into every smart contract or Lightning transaction that's out there. So you are guaranteed, I guess, to get your funds back, but it might take some take some time to do so. And the time that it'll take to do so depends on the HTLC that you agreed upon to open the channel in the first place. So, you know, that's what can happen if, if nodes are offline. And then in terms of what watchers are, uh, my understanding is that a watcher is someone that's going to watch your channels for you and you kind of delegate that responsibility. So in the watcher, in the watcher um, structure, you are no longer trustless. You are use, you're using somebody else's service. Um, to watch your channels and make sure that the the blockchain is being followed uh, correctly. So is there a these fee are for that? you know think. I think that you're going to have to pay. Yes, you're going to have to pay. You know somebody else for that service. So we are in the early stages of Lightning Network. We still can't have a full node in our in our phone all all, all the time. But you know we might be. That day might come soon, and the these guys in um, in Adelaide uh, did a lot to progress the Lightning Network and uh, solve some immediate issues that needed to be solved. And I'm confident that going forward, they'll continue to update the protocol uh, to make it more robust and uh, more trustless as well. So, Nick, Nick uh, you kind of mentioned surfing slacks and stuff like that. If you could give our listeners, other than Alex Bosworth, you know, where are the top two or three places where they can get the highest signal on the Lightning Network? Sure. So, Roast Beef, who's a developer at Lightning Labs, 
He um, did a couple interviews uh, recently. One was on Stephen Levera's, uh, uh, Stefan Levera's podcast, and the other was on the Noted podcast with Pierre Richard and Michael uh, Bitstein. Um, those two interviews were phenomenal. And roast beef talks really, really fast, if you guys didn't already know. So if you need to listen to it on 0.5x, um, <laughs> that might be something that you want to do. But I think those two interviews are fantastic places to start um, to get a sense of where we are in the Lightning Network today, what happened in Australia a couple months ago, uh, what were some of the decisions that were made between the Blockstream team, the LND team, and a lot of the top developers there. Um, so those are definitely a couple must listens. Um, follow Elizabeth Stark. Uh, she's she's the head of Lightning Labs. She retweets a lot of good stuff from around the Lightning Network world. So um, it's got a great name. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, CoinDesk wrote an article calling her the Warrior Queen um, a couple weeks ago which I thought was uh, uh, a great one. So I think she's a good follow. Um, she, you know, that article talked about what a great leader she is and how she's pulling a lot of great talent together. Um, Christian Decker, any interview you can find with him, uh, Rusty Russell, uh, any interview you can find with him, these guys are talking about um, the cutting edge of the Lightning Network. Uh, very, very important people to follow. Um, Marty Bent had a couple guys talking about the Lightning Network recently. I think I believe he had, he had uh, Lightning Koala. That was a good interview. Um, Lightning Koala was talking about some of the use cases for Lightning going forward. We were talking about uh, Satoshi's place is his, but he was also talking about gaming. He has a gaming background, so this concept of you know higher velocity Bitcoin in the gaming industry. I'm just ranting now, but there, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff out there. Um, that's that's actually fantastic. Thank you for that. We'll, we're going to type all those up and try to find as much as we can to include in the show notes, just to make it easy on y'all. Um, but thanks, thanks for kind of you know going through that mental exercise for us, Nick. Much appreciated. Uh, last question for you is: um, if you could really kind of characterize the Lightning Network in as simple as possible, how would you do it? The Lightning Network to me is an app, and to use the app, you have to have real Bitcoin. And that's the way I think about it. Um, you can send Bitcoin to and from somebody, but you can also send Bitcoin to and from somebody using these transactions called Lightning transactions. So, yeah, it's an it's an app that uses that you can only use if you have real Bitcoin to bring into it. Awesome, awesome. Um, I mean, I think that's all for me, uh, David, unless you have anything else. No, you're nodding. No. Um, Nick, where can people find you? Uh, what do you have to ask from our audience? Sure. So you guys can follow me on Twitter and on medium at time value of BTC. Uh, I wrote, um, a few articles, uh, last year about the lightning network that gained a lot of traction in the community. And I'd love to know what you guys are thinking. My DMs are open on Twitter. I've gotten a lot of great feedback over the last several months. So thank you for everybody for reaching out and for encouraging me to write more. I look forward to writing more about the Lightning Network, experimenting with interest rate calculation methodologies, and continue to push this uh, Bitcoin native financial theory out to the world. Thank you for being not the uh, only person on this podcast that plugs both their Twitter and their Medium account. I also do that. Hey, <laughs> same handle, so it's quite easy uh -huh. to do so. Uh -huh. I, that's a perfect segue into David. Where can people find you, man? You guys can find me at Trustless State, both on Twitter and on Medium. Cool. And then you can find me at CK underscore Snarks. Uh, please look up POV Crypto Pod. Uh, follow the show. Rate the show. Um, help us keep killing it so we can keep bringing you amazing guests like Nick who are really pushing the frontier and the edge on this cutting edge technology. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. Awesome. Bye, Nick. Thank you again, man.
It's a fool, you too.